And now, get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk650andkste.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Well, good morning. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener, Garden Columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page at Twitter.com slash Farmer Fred Daily Garden Tips, lots of snark. And uh, one of my favorites, the uh, Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page where there is always a garden dialogue going on including it, and I want to get into it with my guests um, in a few minutes, at that uh, Facebook page was a report, I, I believe it was from the University of California, that talked about the future climate of Sacramento more resembling Barstow than what you're used to now in about 70 years or so. That's that's kind of interesting, and I know that uh, the wholesale plant industry is very concerned about that and, and is looking into it long term. So, we will see. Anyway, we're going to talk gardening, though. We're going to talk about tomatoes. We're going to talk about peppers. We're going to talk about whatever problems you have in your yard right now. If you give us a call at 576-1578 in the 916 or 866-331-8255 or email, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. I say we because with me are the ladies from the Sacramento Digs Gardening blog fairly new, about 10 weeks old, and it covers local gardening in our area. They have a garden calendar. They have a gallery of gardens. They have checklists for what to do each week. They have recipes, too. We should get into that as well. Debbie Arrington, former garden writer of the Sacramento Bee. Kathy Morrison, former editor at the Sacramento Bee. Copy editor. I don't want to make you the editor because then you get nasty emails. Thank you, Fred. So I'll, I'll, make you, I'll make you the copy editor. Thank you. Nobody knows what that is anyway. Well, well you, you, you basically, how did that, I often wonder, how do professional reporters react to their words being edited? Not well. Okay. <laughs> if they look, if they it look depends. at it. It depends. It depends. And on what is what is done if some changes are made for change sake which sometimes happens it you which know happens. but if but if it's it's a thoughtful you know edit or one that saves our bacon because we made a mistake you yeah. know, that uh, or you just use the wrong word or you or uh, spell check did you a not so nice favor um, by correcting a word into something else. And it, oh, gosh. But no, uh, the the reporters at the beat, uh, my, my experience is that most of them uh, appreciate the catches, the help, the, the oh, I didn't mean that word, I meant this one, um, when you ask. And you always ask. Yeah, and uh, th- there should be editors on Twitter, for example, but whatever. Oh, my. <laughs> but, but, you know, that's one of the things you really notice in the digital mm-hmm. age is a lack of editing. Yeah. And, and that was one of the things that we wanted with this website is to have thoughtful editing as well as as, as reporting to, you know, to make it, a, you know, we have high journalistic standards. You know, we both spent a lot of time in this industry. This is a professional trying, garden yes, blog. And this is a professional yeah. garden blog. This is not a hobby. You know, this we're not getting paid for it yet, but but this is, you know, but this is something that we want to have as being a, a real thing. Not just just something that we're doing, you know, because we want to see our words on a page. Mm-hmm. You know, we're doing this because this community needed a, a professional gardening journalistic resource that they could count on. They needed real news. I well, I gee, I always wanted to learn how to build a butterfly garden in Canada. And <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that's uh, the thing is gardening is intensely local. Yes. What is happening here? You need to know as a, as part of it. We're building a community of gardeners and we're for the Sacramento area. We're not doing it for the Washington Post. Right. Exactly. You know, so uh, or Anchorage, Alaska. Yes, exactly. Or Anchorage or it's, Southern or, California. You know, or or upstate New York or, yeah. you know, any of the other. Myriad, Georgia. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, uh, it's it. This that's not yeah I mean it's nice as a human interest story yeah but the plants that they grow the plant diseases that they have the pests that they have are very very different from what we have right here all gardening is local that guy on the radio always says yeah yeah that's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah it's very true yeah. all right let's talk about your latest post there at Sacramento Digs Gardening and it's a garden checklist for the week of August twelfth and one of the things that you talk about is one question I get a lot. How can you tell when a melon is ripe? Oh, yes. This is one of the mysteries of gardening. Yes. You know, and well, watermelons, watermelons are really interesting in that they are a, an, an African plant, um, and mm. they, are, they are used to certain um, stress conditions where they have a lot of heat and lack of water, and that's what actually brings on the ripeness. Um, if you give a, melons a lot of water, uh, in late August, uh, in particular, they'll just start exploding because uh, the vines are soaking them up way too much. So you want the vines to die back because that's the cue to the melon that it's supposed to get get to it, supposed to get to the point and get ripe. And what you see is the the vine starts to wither, and there's this little tendril, which is a, a specialized curly stem that's growing um, every so often on the vine. And there's particularly always a tendril very close to the ripening melon. When that, when that tendril starts going brown, that means that melon is getting ripe. And if the tendril is totally brown, then the melon is ripe. It's as ripe as it's going to get. So watch those tendrils as cues to what's happening with your melon. You can also look for yellow spots. and You can thump them. You can judge the stripes, the color, and all this other stuff. But the tendril is the one that's the real cue right. to what to do. I don't think thumping is reliable, as a lot of people think, because it really depends on the time of day you do your exactly. thumping. Exactly. It sounds yeah. different in different yeah. times of day and the size of the melon and, you know, and the type of melon and all that other stuff, you know. Uh, no, the, but the tendril, that's yeah. the one that works. When you see that tendril drying up or when the plant easily slips from the vine. Yes. Or when yeah. the fruit. For muskmelon. Yeah. Yeah, for muskmelon, for watermelon, you, you know, you've got to cut it with a, a sharp knife or, or some pruning shears. The, the thing about the, the tendril test, too, is it worked with the little itty-bitty personal watermelons that were about the size of the softball as well as the giant, you know, 20, mm-hmm. 30, 40 pounders. All right. Kathy had mentioned earlier, I think off the air, about a melon you're growing called the papaya melon? It's a papaya dew. Papaya uh, dew. Pa- like honeydew, only okay. papaya. Um, yeah, I found the seeds. Um, is it a papaya? Uh, no, certainly not. <laughs> okay. But All it right. is colored. It, the flesh is uh, papaya colored. I just picked the first two of those this last week. Um and this is a, it's not a musk melon. It's, it, it resembles um, kind of a rugby ball <laughs> or, or, you know, elongated. Um, uh, and it ha- it's the, the outer skin is like a honeydew melon. Yeah. Um, and so it, the first time I've grown this, uh, and it's like, well, okay, when is this ripe? When is it? But you could tell it started to turn, go from green to creamy yellow. And, and then you could smell it. This this thing was this melon is so fragrant, 
Um, so I took, of the two that were ripening, I took the smaller one just to be safe. And um, it, the whole kitchen was perfumed by it. And I, I since, I've since pick, picked the second one. It's a really lovely melon. It's a hybrid, um, has firm, uh, firm flesh, uh, but is uh, that wonderful orangey, uh, uh, papaya orange say, of, um, of a musk melon, of a cantaloupe. But the aroma doesn't resemble papaya, does no, it? No, no. It's, it's just... You know, it's a marketing name. Um, yeah. The a couple of seed companies uh, sell it. Um, mine was Botanical Interests. Mm. I found there were only eight seeds in the package, <laughs> wow. so I was really pulling for this thing to to germinate. <laughs> and they did great. They've done. They've. I've got them all over the place. Botanical Interest is one of those uh, firms, the seed suppliers, that you can usually find in good nurseries as well. Yeah. Um, at the seed uh, labs. Amy Hardware. Amy Hardware, yeah, I know. They're at Green Acres as well. As well, yes. So, uh, yeah, it's, they have a good selection of, uh, of seeds if you like to grow things from seed. And, and more and more uh, gardeners are growing from seed to get the varieties that they want or going for the unusual or the new. And that's always fun. Uh, what did you try this year, uh, Debbie, that was new? Oh, I had the red strawberries that were uh, red flowered strawberries. Red flowered. Red flowered strawberries, um, and they they were really interesting. Uh, let's see, what was the name on it? Um, was it very licious? Was that the very licious? Yeah, okay, it was. Right. Um, it was a test plant, and I wrote a post on it. But what was amazing about it was, um, oh, it was it was a very pretty looking strawberry plant. In that very compact, it wasn't one that was just you know, stringy all over the place. But the flowers were this beautiful uh, ruby uh, red, just um, and they looked like little garnets against the leaf. And it was a proven winner introduction, yes. And its name is Buried Treasure. That's it, Buried Treasure, and Buried spelled B-E-R-R-I-E-D. And the the actual strawberries in, looked like regular strawberries, but um, but the red flowers on it were re- remarkable. Um, I also tried um, a plum tomato that I haven't written about yet. Um, that was one of the uh, introductions that they sent as a test plant. Um, I've got uh, oh, I've got some Mexico tomatoes that I'm going to write about today or tomorrow, <laughs> uh, which did not do so good. Um, we got a lot of different kinds of tomatoes. Kathy has it easy because she puts down everything in her diary. She yes. has a garden diary. I like that. <laughs> it's <laughs> even got tomatoes on the cover. I, it's even has tomatoes on. It's a little notebook. Um, yeah, from the from the uh, Kendall Jackson Tomato Festival, um, and it because it, it reminds me of what was in it. But uh, I've discovered that if, uh, writing things down as I, I start seeds, plant them, etc., and then if something you know. Um, dies early <laughs> i can make a note on it and don't plant that again um but uh my let's see my new ones this year were uh big mama big mama which, which okay. is a, a huge uh paste roma tomato mm-hmm. um from the tyler perry seed company yeah right <laughs> right <laughs> i don't know well in any case it was it caught the attention of other people in uh, in my community garden um it's about the size of two or three Roma tomatoes mm. already, just in one, which means less peeling, less everything, and it holds beautifully. It's one of those tomatoes that looks a little wilted while it's well, even though it's healthy. Yeah, but it's it's in a hot spot in the garden. It's doing fine. Um, so that was a good one. I tried red borer 
this year from Brad Gates and um, smaller striped tomato, little tart. It's really nice. Um, uh, test seeds, egg yolk, which is kind of like, a, yeah, it's it's a yellow cherry or yellowish cherry tomato. It's kind of odd. It grew well, but um, the lately it doesn't want to come off the vine easily, which is not a great uh, thing in my book. Not a great. Yeah, that means you have to carry nippers with you. Yeah, who wants to who wants to use clippers on cherry tomatoes? Yes. I mean, so this that'll that's a one and done as far as I'm concerned. All right. So all right. So we well, what have been? Well, we have to take a break. When we come back, let's talk about our. Uh, early successes and failures this is I, I don't usually like to rate tomatoes in august because it's a marathon not a sprint and <laughs> but uh, there are some already winners and losers i bet oh, in yes. everybody's yard so yeah, i'd like to hear from uh, you folks out there about your uh, tomato or pepper uh, winners or losers give us a call at 576-1578 in the 916 or 866-331-8255 email send it to fred at farmerfred.com all right, I need more coffee. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSDE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. And Terry's running the board today here. He'll be uh, punching you up for the Garden Grappler at 11 o'clock. The uh, my guest today, Debbie Arrington, Kathy Morrison from the Sacramento Digs Gardening blog, and a lot of good information on there that you can find. And of course, my mind has blanked on what I said we were going to talk about when we came back from the break. But I just love talking about your uh, your blog here. It's great. Oh, well, thank you very much. But uh, we were going to talk about uh, changing climate and successes and successes. Yes, what what, oh, what worked and what didn't work. Let's do yes, that. Yes. Okay. Let's thank talk you, about Kathy. tomato and pepper. Thank you. Uh, tomato and pepper successes or failures. The early edition, if you will, for August, because I still think that you know you make these final determinations. I too keep a garden diary, and I usually do my final determination around the final week of September or the first week of October. But already in the yard, there's some ones that, for whatever reason, may have performed well in the past, but this year, for whatever reason, they just aren't making it. In my yard, the big disappointment is Lemon Boy. Oh, and I love Lemon Boy. I do too, but half the plant's already dead. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, and who knows why. The the big success... uh, I, I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's the cherry tomatoes. The cherries, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when all else fails, you will always have cherry tomatoes. Well, what we're really discovering is what varieties can cope with hot, dry, dusty, ashy conditions. Yeah. Because it it it's really stressing a lot of tomatoes more so than in past years. And that true. it's it's sort of that ash is kind of magnifying mm. the heat yeah. and it mm-hmm. making uh, making life difficult. And some tomatoes, particularly those varieties, I think that are would do well in the southwest and desert conditions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, or down in El Centro, you know, the, the southern <laughs> part of the valley. Um, those tomatoes are doing really, really well, while ones that need a little bit more. Um, oh, more in the 80s than mm-hmm. the 90s. You know, like mm-hmm. Lemon Boys um, or the, this New Mexico tomato, you know, that we tried this year. Um, those aren't, aren't making it because it, it's just too much stress on the plant. And I'm not sure if it's the pollen, if their p- pollen um, is just going sterile very quickly, you know, at the higher yeah. heat. Or if it's their overall makeup where they just are uncomfortable, you yeah. know, and mm-hmm. just not growing well. Of course, it isn't just 
pollen that goes sterile in high heat, the whole flower drops off. Yeah, the whole right. thing drops off. So, yeah. so right. what uh, in my garden, the, the big winner so far is early girl. It's still producing. Yeah. It's producing well. I really like that. Uh, Kathy, in your yard, what's winning? Or the, your um, plot? Honestly, I was surprised at this. Um, I have an heirloom called Carbon. Um, it's it's a black tomato, mm-hmm. um, and it has done phenomenally this year. And I'm not sure why. It's it's over in a different spot of the garden, though. So I, I you know, it's one of those things. You 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 prep your soil. You plant everything deep. You you uh, you know deep water so that you get nice, long, strong roots. I can't emphasize that enough. People try to grow big tomatoes in little pots and it doesn't work but this is a great big tomato and it is so happy and it's so delicious um I, i'm really surprised it's it is an heirloom so it it, it probably will never do this well again for me <laughs> ever again but um carbon carbon all right uh of the hybrids first prize and big beef big okay. beef bean now, now that's interesting big beef i'm still waiting Oh, really? It, it is wow. slow to go. I, mean, I have one big beef plant. It's just green. There's no tomatoes. Wow. And it's like, come on, you're one of my favorites. What's going on here? But in your yard, see, all gardening is local. All gardening is local. Big beef. And what was the other one? Uh, first prize. First prize I've grown before, too. That's a good one. Yeah. it's yeah. I, I try to rotate through some of the hybrids, and that's I brought that one back this year, and it's really done well. Debbie, what about you? Well, the big beef plant that Kathy gave me is doing exceptionally well. Um, it's putting out a lot of really large tomatoes that are 10 to 12 ounces. Really? That are very solid. The ones I'm getting are really small. No, they're, mm. they're big. The, okay. the smallest big beef I got was a half pound, was an eight ounce. Whoa. Yeah, okay. so it was really nice. Um, the most prolific by far is the Juliet mm-hmm. uh, that we talked about uh, in the last hour. Um, that's a hybrid mini plum aroma um, that has the best qualities of a plum as well as a, a small, uh, you know, like a cherry tomato, but without the seeds. Uh, very few seeds in it. Um, that thing um, has, oh, it's easily done. It's one plant, and I've harvested at least three gallons of tomatoes off that thing. And it makes wonderful sauce. So it's, it's very prolific. One thing I, I've figured out in, in time is because sun is sort of a limited commodity in my yard. Mm-hmm. So I have to be very careful where I put things. This is the best year I've ever had for basil. And the, yes. o- the only reason uh, I can think yeah. of is it's growing in a fairly shady area. Yeah. It's getting maybe only three or four hours of sun a day. Mm-hmm. So in the future, okay, I'm going to give basil part shade. Basil actually likes it that way. It, and one of the reasons... it. With uh, more shade, it's less likely to go to flower immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's one of the things that with, with basil is problematic is that when it starts to get hot in the, in the summer, which is when you want it to start growing, yeah. um, it just goes right to flower. And once it goes to flower, then the plant starts shutting down. So you have to keep snipping off the flowers. Mm-hmm. But if it's in part shade, then it's less likely to flower. Kathy, in your situation in a community garden, you don't have much control over sun or shade. No, but um, where I am in in the community garden, I'm I'm on the south side of the garden, and um, late in the in the fall, the oak trees end up oh, sh- that right. are off on the road do end up shading my garden. But um, I do I do move my tomatoes around in my plot too to kind of uh, take the best advantage and not be too blasted. I mean, I know there's a certain corner that is going to get really really hot every mm-hmm. year, and I and I. I know, so I have to be really careful what I put there. Uh, Remind me to talk about a little bit later in a community garden situation, 
How do you deal with prevalent plant diseases, especially among tomatoes, where the advice is rotate your crops? And uh, we'll talk about that later, yes, if I yeah. can remember. Okay. Well, let's go to the phones. Garden question, comment, give us a call, 576-1578 in the 916, or 866-331-8255. Pamela in Sacramento, thanks for calling. Oh, thank you for taking my call, Farmer Fred, and thank you for being uh, such a terrific presenter at the um, Harvest Day. Oh, really enjoyed you. it. Thank, thank you. Um, so I wanted to have this opportunity. I'm so grateful to be able to thank Debbie Arrington personally for the fantastic. It goes back to 2013. Uh, it was produced as a, I don't know if I can name the newspaper or not, but she created this most wonderful um, gardening guide um, in that former employer's um, publication. Do you remember it? It was beautifully oh, yes, yeah. colored. Yeah. yeah, it was a pull-out and section. It was, it was like a standalone yeah. magazine. Yeah. 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 Sharon Okada was the uh, illustrator and the graphic person. I want to tell you that I paid homage to it by looking at it right now. I had it laminated, and I use it year-round. Very good. Well, We designed it to be laminated, and that was the idea, is that the... this large newspaper in town, <laughs> uh, this formerly large newspaper in town, um, right. used to do a, a pull-out poster for gardening right. uh, back in the 70s and 80s. And oh. we hadn't done one in 20 years. And it was on newsprint, too, it, so it didn't last very long. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, yeah. So we decided to, to do one and to do it on a higher quality paper mm-hmm. that it would actually last as a poster. And the idea was that you could put it up in your garden shed or your garage or your you know, wherever you do your gardening thinking, you know, and, and have it as a reminder of what to plant when. And we worked a lot with UC Davis and their researchers on, and the, and the UC Master Gardeners was coming up with the dates for planting because the Sacramento planting dates had shifted a little bit mm-hmm. uh, because our, our zone changed a little bit in the USDA planting zone. Uh, so we did a lot of work and research on that. Um, and because the, the, Things don't necessarily follow what you have in your sunset book or whatever for Sacramento. It's it's a little bit different here for different things, you know. So we we try to make something that would be a resource that people could use year after year. So I'm I'm really glad you're still using it. I don't know how much longer it'll be valuable with changes in the climate. <laughs> well, then we'll then, then we'll have to do edition. another one. A Barstow edition, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, well. Um, Oh, it's, you, know, you have to plant your tomatoes in, on, January. in January. January. Yes, exactly. January. Exactly. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, it's it, uh, we, we did a lot of good work, right. you know, and we're still Well, Pam, thank you for the call. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. That's Pamela in Sacramento. We have to take a short break. We'll get to the rest of your calls when we come back to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Welcome back to the program. Garden Grappler coming up at 11 o'clock. My guests, Kathy Morrison and Debbie Arrington, will be judging the quality of your answer. The ladies have a great local gardening blog called Sacramento Digs Gardening. Do an internet search for Sacramento Digs Gardening, and you will get links to their blog page, their Facebook page, their Twitter feed, we have Instagram now. Too. Oh, you do have Instagram. Okay. All right. Yeah, the, the kids love the Instagram. Hey, we're into social media. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Before I go back to the phones, what did I say we were going to talk about when we came back? What did we stop? <laughs> Come on, Kathy. I'm relying on you. <laughs> it's like, all right. Never mind. We'll go to the phones. And it'll, it'll, it'll occur to us. Yes. Denise in Newcastle, thanks for hanging in there. You're welcome. I think I'm becoming a groupie. <laughs> I seem to be calling almost every weekend, but I love your show, and I think these two ladies can really help me. Um, I've got about 100 square feet of squash and melon plants falling all over my <laughs> front area. Yeah. Um, and that's really not a problem, but it's hard to water and see what I've got underneath all those big, beautiful leaves. So um, I thought next year I would like to do a gourd or a, a squash tunnel. Uh-huh. Um, I've got an old metal carport, just the metal frame. It's about, I don't know, 13 feet tall. And I've got a lot of old field fencing I thought I could use to um, put across and across the top and the sides. But other than that, I was wondering if you can give me some advice on what I can do this year and next year to get that going and be successful and be awesome so I can put it on your Instagram page. <laughs> well, it's, um, my experience with, with growing as something of, of structured that big um, at the one of the community gardens I used to be in, uh, we would do a a, um, oh, a geodesic dome that was covered with shayote squash, and the shayotes would would then hang down through the dome so you could pick. The thing about a carport that that's that is that tall is it's going to be difficult to harvest because it's going to go well, up I can on the cut top. It down, yeah, oh, okay. good, good idea. I think uh, to okay. a height where you could reach across to the middle of the top. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that may only okay. be four or five feet tall. Well, it's, yeah. you want to, if you're going to do it something like that, you want to be able to walk underneath it. Oh. So, yeah. yeah I so want to be able to walk. Okay. Yeah. So you yeah. want it about seven feet, you know, because, well, depending on your height, okay. you know, so, so it's not bunking you in the head when you yeah. walk underneath it, but you can reach up and easily pick without a ladder. Yeah. So you can call it the gotcha. white, the white okay. fly tunnel. Well, yeah. You, oh. Well, that's, that's the thing is you would get a lot of white flies yeah. in there. Um, but then that depends on other factors as well. But it's protein. But, it's okay. <laughs> but you know, but, but they do make a nice, pretty shade area yeah. oh, too. Yeah. You know, and they're fun for kids. You know, and to, to playhouse and you know stuff like that. Yeah, um, yeah. We uh, have yeah, a so, mandarin farm, and I thought maybe I could have it ready for when people come by to pick, uh, get mandarins. Yes. So would yeah. I start that maybe in July or August? Oh, okay. You're oh, so you're at, you're late. you're yeah, because you're. Hmm. You're trying to get the the things to grow in the heat of the summer yeah. for it to be ready mm-hmm. that late. Because, I w- maybe late May. Yeah, late May would yeah. work. Late yeah, May. because you yeah. need to have it going early enough where it will keep going. And you want to have yeah. something that doesn't have that much weight come hanging down because otherwise you have to keep supporting the vines. Right. Yeah, you don't so. you don't want this thing collapsing on your visitors. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> what kind no. of squash are you growing? Uh, well, we got a bunch of seeds from Baker Seed Catalog, so we have something called moringa, and um, which is a beautiful kind of a creamy orange, uh, deeply fluted uh, squash. And then I have a I don't I don't know how to say it properly kakai or kakay. Uh-huh. It's orange and green, and the seeds are hullless, and they're amazing to eat. Uh, we already have been. Um, roasting some but they're really yummy and then a couple other obscure things that come from poland and a polish spaghetti squash and yeah we're not doing anything that you can find easily 
at least up in my area. Well, that's the whole so idea for Baker Creek. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. that moringa squash is a, it's a cute little pink yeah. pumpkin sort of thing. Yeah, and it lo- it looks really cute. I, I think you're wise. These aren't little; they're big. They're, <laughs> Eight they're pounds. Going straight Eight out pounds. of the too. Wow. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, no wonder they're going crazy. Another place yeah. to do your research on creating a gourd tunnel or a pumpkin tunnel or a squash tunnel would be to head, uh, speaking of Baker Creek, head to the Heirloom Expo in Santa Rosa in September because they have all sorts of squash, pumpkin, gourd experts there who can give you some tips. Excellent it's idea. on our calendar. Thank okay. you. That's a really good idea. Okay, so late May and lighter, yeah. uh, smaller varieties. Now, yes. And now you mentioned you had trouble watering what you have this year. And I think next year, if you do go with ground-level squash, is to put down a soaker hose and then plant around the soaker hose. That way you're watering from beneath. You don't have to water from the top. <laughs> and maybe mark where we planted seeds. <laughs> well, that too. I mean, if you want, I mean, one trick I used. We, we I just didn't had no idea it would grow like it did. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, if you can find the original point after two months or so, good for you. But yeah, yeah no, we th- can't. So we're just kind of yeah. Yeah. No, here's, but anyway, here's, they're still happy. So uh, here's something I did this year, and it helps. Um, this was I had a much smaller garden of, of melons. I used some extra um, small tomato cages the ones that don't ever hold up tomatoes pepper cages uh-huh. pepper basically pepper cages they were you know i didn't need them and so i marked i stuck them where the the plants started so that i can aim the hose there. oh okay that's a good oh, idea oh that's, that's where a good they idea. are yeah, yeah. so use something like that to i mean larger okay. than a stick because a stick will just fall over as opposed to red irrigation flags Yes. Yeah. 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 Right. And then as soon as it's the uh, the plant starts sending out a, a runner, I just start training that up. That or should good. I be doing a cross and then up? You know how roses have to oh. go across oh. if you want them to bloom more. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's yes, interesting. You're talking, you're talking about laterals. That's a question yes. for the folks at yeah. the Heirloom Expo. Yeah, yeah. that's that. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's well, a that, good question. The proper training for it to to go. The as I recall though, with with the chayote squash, it just went. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it was sending out so many so many shoots that it it just quickly covered that dome. Wow. Okay. Hey, Denise. Okay. Good luck with all that. Thank you. Yeah. I'll report back. Okay. Yeah. Yes, Very good. We look forward to it. All right. For the blog. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. Sure. Thank you. Thanks for uh, giving us a call here. Yeah, that's uh, that's the fun of gardening is you can do some weird projects like that. Like Depen- room and sun. I'm growing Malabar <laughs> spinach uh, this year, Ooh, and wow, I, I yeah. bet Quentin Young yeah. talked about it uh, yeah. in his presentation mm-hmm. last yeah. week at Harvest Day. And um, it, it's an acquired taste because it has a sort of a creamy texture. Well, it's it it's. Um, Oh, it's is the viscosity in it. It has uh, a lot of. Um, it's a succulent. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons it grows in the summer. That and New Zealand spinach. Right. Uh, and so, uh, when they're eaten raw, they both have this sort of glutinous, you know, yeah. like like almost gelatin quality it's an acquired to it. Taste. Yeah. yeah. Um, but when you cook it, it just tastes like regular spinach. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I have it on an old. Uh, trellis that i basically leaned up against the fence Mm -hmm. because quentin kept telling me that this malabar spinach it can get 20 feet long Mm -hmm. it's like a vine yeah and it's already filled up this eight foot trellis that i have there so my neighbors are getting to get some free malabar spinach yeah well it's 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 a very interesting plant we have it in our csa box uh, from del rio botanical they they grow it for several restaurants locally Mm -hmm. and it has a beautiful dark green color and very interesting texture to the leaves where they're really, really um, 
oh, all this intricate curling in them and, and like little like little pillows. And so they look really pretty on a plate, yeah. you know, as a background for your beautiful heirloom tomatoes. Um, you and, know, and the stems are pretty, too, because they're yes, red. Yes, I mean, that contrast yeah. between the two. Um, but it doesn't grow like a spinach plant in any no. way, shape, or form. No, it's a vine. You know, and it's the uh, same thing with New Zealand spinach, right. which is uh, got these pointy little leaves that are very fuzzy, you know, that have a kind of a little grainy texture to them. And it also acts like a vine. Right. All right. Um, okay, let's talk climate. We finally, we'll get around to it. Uh, the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. I, I put a post up from uh, the folks at University of California Ag and Natural Resources, a study that is in the July issue of Urban Foresting and Urban Greening that talked about how urban foresters in inland cities of California should begin reconsidering their pallets of common street trees to prepare to prepare for warmer conditions expected in 2099 due to climate change. Now, we don't have to worry about that. Our grandkids would have to worry about it, though, uh, because uh, as the current trees die off, the palette is going to become much more limited as far as the trees we can grow here and other plants as well. But in this article, which you can find, again, at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, uh, they compare the climates of current cities with what their climates will be like uh, in the year 2099 by using a city that would have a 2099 climate, but they have that climate now. For instance, uh, here in Sacramento, actually they use Stockton as the example, the Stockton in 2099 will have more of the climate of Barstow. Barstow will have more of the climate of El Centro. El Centro will have the climate of Furnace Creek, which, by the way, is in Death Valley. So you get an idea here of uh, how climate's going to change. Up in Eureka, their climate in 2099 will more resemble what Berkeley's weather is today, climate is today. And uh, in Southern California, slight changes. The, the more dramatic changes are in Northern California. Uh, Bur Burbank will resemble Fresno. You're going to love that, Burbank. Um, <laughs> what else here? Yuba City will resemble El Centro. Oh, my. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's fairly far north. And uh, King City, which I find interesting, will have more of a climate like Stockton. And you'd think that in King City, you'd get more of a, a maritime influence. Mm, yeah. But no. But so anyway, what they're saying in this whole study is the fact that, yeah, it's going to get warmer. But you don't grow much asparagus in, in Barstow. Uh, no, you <laughs> don't. Stockton Ooh, going to, no. going to, to Barstow's what, climate. Is anything grown in Barstow? Is there alfalfa? Is no, they, they, they're... Um, well, Barstow is sur surrounded by by desert monument. Yeah, you know, so it's it's mostly just your natural. And you got to remember, like, what's right outside of Barstow? You've got Calico Mine, you know, the ghost town. Yeah, and it's um, oh, well, it's a very fragile desert environment too, where you there's there's almost no topsoil. So uh, it's oh, it is well, it's high desert. So you think about what you have in a xeriscape with uh, mesquite trees and uh, desert willows and that, that maybe sort of a tamarisk work. for shade. Uh, well, yeah, maybe a tamarisk for shade. Uh, yucca, yeah. uh, you know, uh, beautiful yucca plants. Uh, the coral yucca, mm -hmm. those those sort of things. Um, Joshua trees, they grow wild there. It's one of the reasons at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center they're experimenting more with desert climate trees. And, mm -hmm. and one of the highlights at, at Harvest Day, I don't know if you saw it, Kathy, there or not, was the bird of paradise tree 
which was in their water-efficient landscape oh, with these beautiful, I, I ornate red and yellow flowers. Yes, oh, those, yeah. Those are gorgeous. Okay. Yeah. Yes, yeah. They're, yeah. They're beautiful. There's a lot of those in Arizona, I know. Yes, they, and that's exactly, that, uh, yeah, that's, it's what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're yeah, shooting for yeah. here. Well, it's, it's, it's desert. It yeah. really is yeah. desert. And, you know, and the, the old thing that all California is a desert, we're just, you know, diluting ourselves by putting water on it. Um, well, that's partially true, but in a desert desert, um, it, the water when it comes is very different. Yeah. Uh, and the seasons when they come are very different. Uh, Barstow is very cold during the winter where you have a lot of days that aren't getting out of, you know, 40, 50 degrees, but um, very cold at night. Uh, but no moisture, very dry, bone dry. Um, and when the moisture does come, it is a, oh, a calamitous yeah. storm. It's yeah. just one of those. It's those a monsoon. Gull- it's a monsoon, yeah, yeah. It's a gully washer that just comes all at once, you know, and then that's it. Well, I'm hoping if uh, Sacramento uh, resembles the climate of Baker, California, that uh, we'll get a big uh, thermometer. Yes, I know. I knew where you were going with that. It's a giant thermometer. Yes. Yeah, but where will it top out at? Uh, I know. We'll take a break and think about that. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSDE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Along with Kathy Morrison, Debbie Arrington from the Sacramento Digs Gardening blog and Facebook page where you can uh, dig in and get real good local gardening advice. And by the way, kudos ladies for the great pictures well, you have you on there. Much. Those are very good pictures that you, you have. Thank you. That's uh, are you Phones both are amazing. Are you both taking pictures? <laughs> We're yes, both we taking pictures. At the moment I've been taking more of them I think because Debbie's been tied up with other things but yes um, well but i was down you. in southern california so it's hard to get local photos when i was in, in yeah exactly yeah. um yeah and it's like i don't have this photo with me right now so. <laughs> yeah. all right let's yeah. go to the phones bill and chico thanks for hanging in there hi bill hello fred hi hello ladies hi there good morning uh uh i'm calling about you you made a comment earlier about malabar spinach right mm-hmm. and just reminded me uh that i've I've been growing uh, Okinawan spinach all summer, and and I grew it last summer. It's you know you can cook with it, but I don't. It's a great summer product here in Chico. It grows in the heat. Uh, it's very nutritious. Well, I, no, I don't. I assume it's nutritious. It's delicious, and it, if you especially if you you know put it in some ice cold water, and then dry it off and eat it. But the important thing is. Last year, when the frost came, it died, and I thought, well, that's that. And I was going to plant some more this year. Unbeknownst, I was totally shocked when it came up again. And it, it, the second year, it has a massive root ball, and it produces, like, leaves are as long, I mean, stems are as long as my arm. So it's a, it's a great plant for, for Southern California. And the, I mean, for no, Northern California in the heat. Do you have it growing in full sun? I have it in the, uh, I have out front of my house that gets the morning sun. And then I have that, another plant in the back that gets the afternoon sun. They're both doing quite well. Okay, so they're yeah. both getting maybe four to six hours of direct light a day. Exactly. Okay. And, and uh, I have, I have uh, two in containers and one in the ground. And all three came back very strong okay and what what variety was this again 
It's called Okinawan spinach. That's, Okinawan. At least yeah. that's the name it's, I have. It's an interesting it. plant. It's a chrysanthemum, um, and it's, it's a perennial. So that's why it comes back. And um, it's, its Latin name, which I'm going to murder here, is Genura crepidus. That's good. Um, but it's, but it, because it is a chrysanthemum, that's why it comes back like that as a perennial. Oh. Um, and it's another one that we're calling it spinach because you can cook with it and it will taste and look kind of like spinach. You know, but it, it has a, like a purple blush to the, yes. to the new growth. And um, it will come back year after year after year. Um, according to, let's see, this... This sounds like something that Quentin Young might have at Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery. Yeah, yeah, or one that you can find, um, like at the, uh, the, um, the big, um, heirloom plant. Oh, at the heirloom. Yeah, 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 but it's it's one that is, uh, it's popular in Japan, but it's just making its way over here. And there's a lot of different, uh, members of the chrysanthemum family. That are, are used in Asian okay, cooking. So it's a herbaceous so, perennial. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. yeah. All right. Hey, Bill, thanks for the word. Like that. You bet. Th- thank you. All right. Bye. Yeah. That's uh, always good to find uh, new edibles out there. And I think that's uh, part of the adventure of gardening is uh, discovering uh, edible portions. Like, for instance, I developed a very tasty habit with my cover crop over the winter the leaves of the fava beans. Oh, yes. Uh, fava, fava greens are yeah. wonderful and they taste. No, they taste like a fava bean, but they're a lot less work. Um, And they're a way a lot of chefs manage to stretch the fava taste through different dishes. Like using it, because you can use it like spinach, um, but it has that kind of fava flavor. So it's great for using in ravioli as a stuffing in that and, you know, other, you know, stuffed pastas, tortellinis and things. In your blog, the Sacramento Mm -hmm. Diggs Gardening blog, you did a wonderful profile of one of my horticultural heroes, and uh, her garden is going to be part of, I believe, the East Sacramento uh, uh, Edible Garden Tour coming up in September, and that would be the... the the heart and soul of the WPA Rock Garden, uh, Debbie Ma. Uh, Daisy, uh, D- D- Daisy, Daisy Ma. Ma. I, I'm not getting anybody's name right today. Daisy Ma, yes. Daisy is delightful. Yes. She's one of my favorite gardeners in Sacramento. She's just a just a wonderful lady. And in retirement, she said she, she finally had time to work on her home garden. And so she and her husband, John, have been very busy uh, in their midtown garden. Um, and she's she's funny that she's, she says, oh, it's an ornamental garden, you know, not an edible garden. But then she starts talking about what she's growing. And, you know, she's got a great big dome covered with kiwi and, and grapevines and, and all sorts of, of wonderful citrus and herbs and, you know, just a really delightful mix in her garden. And I would think it's a, a typical size backyard, too. Well, it's it's a large, uh, it's a 40 by 160 foot lot. Oh, You know, okay. so it's a big, it's a big lot. All right. That's uh, good. But... Um, her her place is on the the edge of what's called the Boulevard District. Mm-hmm. You know, um, she's up off of Twenty Fifth and E, and so those lots were designed to, to go have an, an alley behind them, and so it has that long thin mm. thin lot. So she has all that space in the back. So is is she going to be part of the East Sacramento Edible Gardens tour, or is it a different? Tour? She was no, she was on the tour that was yesterday. There's the oh. the the Midtown Garden Tour. Yeah, the Midtown. Midtown <laughs> yes. Garden. It's a, it's a brand new. I'm tour. getting it's it all new, wrong today. Brand wow. new. Yeah, yes. the, the okay. edible garden tour yeah. is coming up in, in the second week of September. Yeah, Saturday, September eighth, yeah. and yeah. that's in East Sacramento. And the more you were mm-hmm. describing where where uh, Daisy lives, I go, wait a minute, that's not it's, East you Sacramento. You got the wrong tour. Yeah, yeah. it was yesterday. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. But uh, but Garden the Grid is uh, this new group that's in Midtown uh, Sacramento that is uniting that 
particular community of gardeners. And their challenge is that they're gardening in small spaces. So yes. they're trying yeah. to make the most out of what space they have. And quite often that, that involves shade uh, because of the big trees in that area. Yeah. Um, it would or, involve front yards, too. Oh, yes. It yeah. involves front yard gardening or gardening around concrete surfaces, which yeah. can make different little microclimates. Um, and trying to find what you can grow in a planter box or on a balcony or yeah. in some other tight space. All right. Well, I, if you have nothing to, I mean, if you have nothing to do, if you want to see a beautiful garden, go to the vicinity where Fairy Tale Town is in Land Park, and right across the parking lot from Fairy Tale Town is a garden originally called the WPA Rock Garden, and it, it truly was uh, back in the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s. It was basically a, a rock garden. Maybe they would bring in annuals a couple of times a year to fill it with. And it belonged to the city of Sacramento. And the city one day said, uh, Daisy, uh, you want to do something with this? And she said, sure. But she's someone who suggested it. I believe yeah, that, yeah. yeah. And yeah. single-handedly, she turned, was it an acre and a half? It, it's, it's just over an acre. Yeah. yeah. Turned it into this beautiful perennial shrub tree oasis that's just gorgeous and watering it all by hand. Yes. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, the, but the thing about that garden was the resourcefulness in it and that so much of what is in, in that garden were things that were cast off plants or things that were divided from perennials. Right. Or th- there were things that Daisy got for free. Yeah. You know, and it's Because she didn't have a budget. Because she didn't have a budget. And so yeah. she had to do it with what she had. And if you, she literally made something out of nothing. And it's, it's such a wonderful testament to her creativity as well as to the sustainability of the plants that she's using did they ever rename the place yes they did yeah. okay what yeah. is the official name now i was just trying to remember i think it's i think it's the daisy ma wpa rock garden yeah. okay but they kept the wpa rock I think, garden i part. think that's part yeah. of it yeah i was trying to visualize even though side. the rocks are fairly buried now by all the plants oh, of course yeah yes but well the, but the rocks are mostly part of the terraces right that they're yeah. you know because it's on a hillside but even though daisy's retired she's still volunteering oh, yeah. there quite a bit are you surprised no no, no. <laughs> no none of us are surprised at that all right we have to take a break for news when we come back it's garden grappler time a clue available at farmerfred.com clue available at the get growing with farmer fred facebook page under the description of my guest coming up on get growing on kste You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred prize closet. Terry, are you ready in there? He is. He's ready to jot down names and numbers and see if uh, you can name a tomato variety or a rose variety with a female name. Why that question, Fred? Well, the ladies here today from the Sacramento Diggs Gardening blog Kathy Morrison, Debbie Arrington. Kathy likes tomatoes. Debbie likes roses to the point where she's a consulting rosarian. Mm -hmm. So name a tomato variety or a rose variety with a female name. All five callers get a prize. Special bonus prize for caller five because, as you know, in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. Now, for the benefit of all those people who have emailed me, I will give you the phone number slowly. 916 Five seven six one five seven eight nine one six five seven six fifteen seventy eight or eight six six 
331-8255. Those are the numbers to call in for the Garden Grappler. First five callers with an answer, get a prize. So there we go. So now our job, ladies, is not to give away any answers in this little <laughs> segment right here. And uh, one thing we were going to talk about earlier, and I think it, it bears repeating, in order to stave off tomato diseases, it's always a good idea to rotate your tomatoes. How the heck do you do that in a community garden? And both of you are in community gardens. Mm-hmm. Correct. Um, you ha- plant carefully and s- s- do amazing soil prep. Um, and so far, I should knock on wood, I have I don't have nematodes mm-hmm. in my community garden plot. I did get them in my home plot, in my home little raised bed, so I don't grow tomatoes there anymore. Um, but... You do have to be careful. Uh, I'm amazed that some of the people in the community garden I'm in um, grow the same tomato every single year in the same spot. So, I, But soil prep is absolutely crucial. And some of these diseases are so insidious, though, that you can transfer them around to other parts of your garden with a shovel. So in, oh, in, yeah. in this, doing yeah. any sort of soil rehab, you just might be spreading the problem. You have to. Well, which in which case is good when you're when you're pulling your tomatoes out, pulling your peppers out. Look at what they look like. Look at the roots. Look at um, the the what has happened to cut a couple of the vines open as you're, you know, um, and look see if you've got. Streaks, going. yeah, streaks browning. in them. See what what's going on. See what's happened, so you don't you don't carry a problem over to the next. Yeah, that's year. a very good idea. Um, two t- t- two telltale signs of uh, verticillium wilt and fusarium wilt on the main stem when you pull that plant out. Uh, slice away a little bit of the outer skin, if you will, of the main stem. If you see some black streaking going on there, that could be a verticillium issue, a verticillium wilt. If when you do, if you cut that main branch or a good size side branch in half, look at the center. It should be cream colored. If it's brown, that could be a sign of fusarium wilt. And nematodes, you might see some nodules on the roots, but they would come off fairly easily, I do believe, as opposed to if it's nitrogen nodules i forget but uh yeah you you don't now what about the idea and maybe this happens a lot in a community garden uh you plant verticillium fusarium nematode resistant tomato varieties those with the letters vfn on them absolutely yeah. that's the best well, that, that pretty much at the fremont garden that that's what does well because that garden is so old yeah. that a lot of problems are you know literally rooted in the soil um, and there are some plots that you cannot get an heirloom tomato to, to grow to save its life because it, it will get struck by one of those wilt diseases, mm-hmm. you know, and that's it. Um, you know, so the hybrid tomatoes grow better. Um, in, in my plot, I've got raised beds, uh, so um, I rotate the beds and then, you know, try to um, redo the soil uh, in those beds between tomato harvest and those. Um, I try not to grow tomatoes in the same box two years in a row so they have some time to rest when i did grow tomatoes in the same box two years in a row that second year they did not do nearly as well as they did the year before yeah that's that's an important uh, point to remember that's a good telltale sign that you know there's something wrong is when that tried and true tomato variety that has done so well for you all of a sudden takes a turn for the worse i had a juliet that didn't do anything last year i mean it, it maybe had 
20 tomatoes on it. And it stayed very small, maybe three, four feet tall. For Julia, that's yeah. definitely something is wrong with it. Yeah. Now, with that particular plant, there had been potatoes in that box um, also. Uh, and so there was yeah. a conflict between the tomato and the Julia. Yeah, yeah. You know, between the potato and the Julia. Potatoes, yeah. tomatoes. Peppers, they're all in the Solanaceae yes, family yeah. and can yeah. spread diseases. Yes, and there was a conflict there. Yeah, okay. If you want more information about crop rotation at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page that you can link to from uh, farmerfred.com, you can uh, find some links that talk about the crop rotation plan for the home garden, parts one and part two. You could actually develop a pizza garden where you have six different yes. uh, gardens in one and basically rotate them on a yearly basis. Yes, Different size of the pie. Each year. All right, let's get some garden answers here on the Garden Grappler. Name a tomato variety or a rose with a female name. So, Kathy, I guess you'll judge the tomato answers, okay. and and Debbie, <laughs> the rose I'll answer. I'll take care of the roses. Okay, yes. fine and dandy. Don in West Sacramento, you're first up. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Lynn Anderson's. Yes. Well, what did it tell us? Is it a rose or a tomato? There, Don. The rose. The rose yes. yes, Lynn Anderson. Well, I, I was going to say, there are so many roses, literally thousands, named after female celebrities over the years, as well as people married to rose growers, Yes, um, that there are a lot of female names. And Lynn Anderson is a very popular um, hybrid tea in our area. And famous uh, for the country song, I Never oh, Promised You a Rose Garden. Exactly, yeah. yes. Uh, yes, got 1993 uh, introduction, but it's a beautiful pink rose, a lo- lovely form. There you go, Don. Good answer. I have for all five callers today, including you, Don, is uh, the uh, Farmer Fred Tomato Troubleshooter, talking about just exactly what we're uh, talking about here, and uh, the top 10 roses for our area. Uh, several years ago, uh, noted uh, rose author Lance Walheim conducted a survey among Sacramento Rose Society and Sierra Foothill Rose Society members asking, what are your best roses to grow here? And uh, these were the top 10. So I'll be sending you that list with pictures and descriptions and all that good stuff. Hey, Don, uh, thanks for playing our little game. All right, thank you. All right, bye-bye. Now, caller number two out to Fair Oaks and Mark. Hi, Mark. Hi, how you doing? Doing just fine. So what uh, rose or tomato female can you think of? Well, I knew a woman by the name of Brandywine once, and that's what it hit me. Well, Brandy is a fine girl. Yes, uh, there you go. <laughs> yes. Music is is there. Yeah, that 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 one does double duty. The the uh, there's a sort of a gold orange rose that's on the uh, Sacramento Diggs Gardening website right now. That is a Brandy rose. Oh, okay. Yeah. And oh, Brandy, just okay. gave away an yeah. I was thinking tomatoes. And, well, there's yeah. Brandy. Well, Brandywine <laughs> also. Well, you know, it's, it's that that one was. Was it? He already gave it. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. All right. Uh, Borderline name. The brandy wine. Now, uh, Kathy, go ahead and talk smack about uh, the brandy wine tomato. Brandy wines are very difficult to grow. They. I know. This is the first year I had them. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. They're, it's, they're it's, wonderful when you do get some fruit off yeah. them, but it can be a trial. Did you enjoy the one you got, Mark? Yeah, there's four plants, oh. and I do. Uh, they they do have all, all my tomatoes bore fruit early on, and then um, have 
had wilt the whole time since, and I can't figure out if it's too much water, not enough, the heat, or what. I don't know. All of the above. Uh, all of the above. <laughs> all of the above. Thank yeah. you. Well, yeah. brandy wines just tend to wilt easy. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're they potato do. leaf, right? Yeah. 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 Look up if I can recommend a hybrid. Try brandy boy. Brandy boy. Next year. Okay. Lovely tomato. They're not quite as big as as brandy wines, but they're they're relatives. Um, and they produce earlier, and they, they do very well. All right. right. Mark. Yeah, I go out, I get like six or seven, because I know they're different every year, and I never bother to really find out why, because I've got one area that gets morning sun that does the best in my garden, uh, and that's where I just keep all, replanting all the tomatoes. I, don't, I can't plant them anywhere else. I don't think they would get enough sun. Well, yeah, that is an issue, and totally it's an difficult. Issue. It's almost you have to, uh, if you, I mean, if you get a problem, especially with uh, your current brandy wine, if it is turning yellow, and, and if you do see the signs we talked about as far as a wilt issue goes or, or a nematode problem, then uh, solarizing the soil may be your best bet for getting rid of it, and that would mean taking it out of production for a year so you could solarize it in the summertime. Ah, because I've got these in pots. The okay. brandy wines I've got in pots, so they're not directly into the soil. Oh, okay. Well, then you just dump the soil out of the pot and put in the soil and, and clean the pot well. That's exactly correct. All right. they're, they're nice and green, and they've got plenty of fruit, but they're slow, and they they got a weird-shaped leaf. I mean, they don't yeah. look like tomatoes when you look at them. No, it's a potato leaf. Yeah, ah, that's what the issue is. Yeah. Okay, thank All right. you. Mark, thanks for calling. Appreciate You're it. You're welcome. All Looking right. forward to this stuff in the mail. You thanks. got it. Just All what right. I wanted. Thanks. Okay, yes, yes. Another envelope from Fred. All right. We'll take a short break. We'll get to answers three, four, and five in today's Garden Grappler. There is one open line of if somebody does falter. 916-576-1578. Name a tomato variety or a rose variety with a female name. Back to the Garden Grappler on Get Growing right after this on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, we're in the midst of the Garden Grappler. People are attempting to name a tomato variety or a rose variety with a female name. We have two female guests. One likes tomatoes, one likes roses. Kathy Morrison and Debbie Arrington from the Sacramento Digs Gardening blog. And a great blog, Local Gardening with... Uh, weather updates you've yes. got you've got the garden a real garden calendar there as yes. far as uh, up, upcoming events yes and uh interviews with authors and uh, not authors but gardeners there and, will be and, authors yeah. okay all right. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of plans yeah we have a, a lot of plans wait but well there's a, there's a lot going on in the gardening community here in, in sacramento um and p- people say well how can you put something up every day about gardening? I was going to ask But you. we do. Yes, you do. We somehow manage to. And you can get it directly to your email every day because we put out a daily e-newsletter devoted to Sacramento gardening. And you can, if you go do an internet search of the term Sacramento Digs Gardening, and it'll take you right there to uh, either their blog page or their Facebook page at, at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred uh, homepage farmerfred.com you can also link to it from uh, today's guest list so you can get there any number of ways and, and you then, can and, subscribe and then, for free it's yes. free yeah and you can sign up right there to get the daily email yes. blast yes which i would imagine uh, would also have updates yes for changing situations well like when we had the aerial spraying yeah. in our neighborhood in the pocket yeah um that was something that came up all of a sudden right and it was 
well, what do I need to do if I'm a gardener? How, how, do, how do I react to having this spray for mosquitoes over your, your garden? And yes, you know, it's very important to combat West Nile. It's a, you know, it's a terrible virus. But um, if you're trying to cultivate beneficial insects, um, or grow your, an organic garden. Or grow organic garden. There are all sorts of issues there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. or protect your car. Oh, yeah. 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 All right, back to the phones, uh, the Garden Grappler. Edie in Sacramento, go ahead, give us a tomato or a rose with a female name. I couldn't think of a tomato, but I have a rose, Nancy Reagan. You got oh, it. Yeah. Uh, beautiful orange, uh, well, it's kind of a light apricot orange, a hybrid tea. And she got uh, that while she's still alive, didn't yeah, she? Yeah, she did. Yeah. And she didn't choose red. Um, that was <laughs> was interesting. She picked out an orange it's rose. It's a very delicate color. Oh, it's a lovely color and a very good exhibition rose. All right, Nancy Rakin. Good answer. Amy. I have a question for you. Well, be my guest. If the uh, climate is going to change, as you're anticipating, and it has this year. I'll be dead. I that, don't care. Is that going to change our planting time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, Definitely. we are already seeing in the world of California agriculture a lack of chill hours in the wintertime for deciduous fruit tree growers in the southern San Joaquin Valley. There is some thought that cherries might be limited to very far north California uh, in, in our lifetime. So we're seeing this, this progression of crops moving northward and, and leaving the areas they're currently established in. So, How about our tomatoes? I, I, tomatoes, I think you can grow just about anywhere. Yeah, but I mean, the, what time of year? I yeah, do he's, it on he's your talking birthday. about planting time. Yes, it's we're going to see a creep in planting time where things are going to go in earlier and earlier, yeah. and your harvests are also going to be earlier and earlier. I was hoping my legacy for Sacramento that my birthday, April twenty eighth, would always be remembered as Tomato Planting Day, and I can tell you right now that ain't going to happen. It's going to move. It's, it's, <laughs> it's going to move. Yeah, unless I move my birthday. Well, you should be born in March. Yeah, I should have been born in March. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to move up into late yeah. March. Yeah. So that's the way it is, Edie. Thank you. All right. I'll be sending you that stuff. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. That stuff, by the way, being uh, Farmer Fred's uh, tomato troubleshooter guide and uh, the top 10 roses for our area. Uh, our area, though, is not Fallbrook, California, where John is. Hi, John. Hi, Fred. Thank you very much. But these uh, are 10 roses that would work anywhere. Um, uh, uh, if uh, the climate is going to continue to move north, you may eventually be able to grow a good avocado. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, good yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. That's I was going to say he's, an, he's yeah. in Avocado Central, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and you'll be able to grow agave, I guess, or something. <laughs> um, thank you for the information, by the way, on the tree dressing. Uh, I appreciate it. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah. So John had sent me an email. He was uh, going round and round with an arborist who was recommending that on, a, on pruning cuts that uh, sealant be put on the Ooh. ends of the branches no, no, and no, no, no you can no. go to any number of resources and they basically say sealant does no good no it's yeah, that, yeah, he, yeah he also wants to put the expandable foam in the crotches of the trees too uh, no so i was i was a little surprised he's he's certified with the isa and a member of the oak board in california uh, so I, I i don't know anyway well yeah look at all the people with driver's licenses too <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but thank you very much. I know you you uh, went out of your way to do that, and thanks for your help. No, I, I I believe strongly in evidence. I mean, if you've got somebody that you're paying to do a good job, and they're giving you advice, you question, you go online, you find the truth, and you show it to them in writing. 
yeah, that's what I need to do. Uh, uh, but anyway, we, we hopefully, he, he diagnosed it as lack of water on my oak tree. So yeah, uh, possible. We, I'm going to put some, put some soaker hoses down and see if I can get some life back. One of them severe, but hopefully I'll keep it. Well, my new mantra is life is too short to put up with a problem plant, but well, do what you got to do, John. Yeah. It's a big oak tree, and I hate to lose yeah, it. It's I hear gorgeous you. out here. Um, uh, my answer yes. is uh, a rose, Loretta Scott King. Oh, yeah. Coretta Scott King. Yeah. Okay. Uh, with the C. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes, of course. I thought um, you were going to say Loretta Lynn or something. Yeah, well, yes, I, I thought that's the way he was going also. Uh, oh, did uh, you give away an answer? Oh, no, no, no. I didn't. No, I just yes. gave away an answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, and it is it is a uh, it's a fairly recent rose. It was only introduced in 2013, but it is a big grand flora, and it has a really, uh, it's a lovely orange-pink color. Oh. It's, one of the, it's, a, it's one of those unusual colors that looks kind of fluorescent, hmm. you know, in the garden. It's a very lovely rose. All right, Coretta Scott King. It, it, John. It, it doesn't, it doesn't. It's not a, it doesn't grow as tall as some of the others, Abraham Lincoln and stuff, but mm-hmm. it is a beautiful uh, kind of a smallish rose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the grandiflora um, refers to the, the way the flowers um, bloom. They bloom in clusters. Mm-hmm. And so, so instead of it just being a, a one, you know, one single hybrid tea at a time, you have like a whole bouquet on a stem. Explain the difference then between a grandiflora and a floribunda. A grandiflora is a cross between a floribunda and a hybrid tea. Oh, that tells me a lot. Yeah. yeah. And well, f- well, Floribundus, um, most of the roses that we see in, in U.S. gardens are hybrid teas. Right. And those grow, they, they one big rose on one stem. Right. That's the idea okay. behind those. Floribundas, uh, the idea is a whole bunch of flowers on one stem. And those come from a, a different lineage in, in rose breeding yeah. that gets a lot of roses on one stem, but a shorter bush. And it's more like the whole bush is covered with blooms okay. instead of a single bloom. And a grandiflora? A grandiflora is a cross between a hybrid tea and a floribunda to come up with a rose that's a tall rose, like a hybrid tea, that's a much taller plant than a floribunda, because most floribundas are like yeah. three to four, and hybrid teas are taller. Uh, but it has that same sort of bouquet on a stem look. Bigger flowers than a floribunda? Uh, they're big flowers. They're okay. full-size flowers like a hybrid tea. And the first grandiflora was Queen Elizabeth. Oh, yeah. okay. There you go. A beautiful pink rose. See, you learn something new every day on in this the show. 50s, yeah. All right. John, good answer. Thanks. Thank you. And Brad. I just gave another question. Uh, well, answer. yes, you did. <laughs> yes, yeah. We're giving away answers left and right but here. But we're close to the end here. Yes. So, Karen, you're caller number five. You're in San Diego. I bet you can name either a rose or a tomato with a female name because we've just given away two answers in the last two minutes, <laughs> I think. Right. So, Karen, go I ahead. Think- Be my guest. We have another one. How about Helen Trowbell? Oh, I grow Helen Tr- Trowbell, uh, which is uh, Helen Trouble. A lot of people call her. Yes, yes, I, I yes, have one too. yes. It is a very old uh, hybrid tea, and it is named for an opera singer. T R. How do you spell it? Uh, it's T R A U B E L. Trowbell. Okay. Trowbell. Yeah. All right. And, uh, <laughs> yes, and that is definitely one too. Uh, the reason that she well, it's it's an old fashioned rose. It tends to get mil- powdery mildew uh, up here, which is why people um, don't grow it so much in Sacramento anymore. But it goes really well in Southern California. Mm. So um, my question to you, Karen, do you have uh, young children in your life, children or grandchildren in your life? Uh, no, just cats. Cats. 
This book is perfect for a cat. It, it's called it's called A Young Person's Guide to the Garden Center by Lawrence Ross, and oh. the, the 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 cats will love it. It's it's big, it's big print with big pictures. They will be pawing all the plants in the pictures. They're beautiful yes, illustrations. They so yes, so they will. <laughs> yes. You. All right. All right, Karen. Thanks for calling. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. All Thank right. You. Bye bye. Yeah. Good answers there. Nobody named a tomato. It was all roses. No. Well, the brandy oh, wine. Oh, brandy wine. Yeah, yeah, brandy wine. Yeah. Yeah, and we had several excellent uh, suggestions on the the tomato end when we were yes. chatting yeah. between between calls. Yes. There's a like um, the um, big German rose. Oh yeah, uh, Aunt Ruby's. Aunt Ruby's. Yes. Aunt Ruby's. Yeah. yeah. Aunt Ruby's. There's that. Uh, yeah, Eva Purple Ball. Oh, yeah. and Sweet Chelsea I have Sweet in my Chelsea. garden this year. Okay. Be- Bella Rosa I've grown that Oh, one. yeah. Uh, Mariana's Peace. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about And Dixie Mari- Red. Let's talk about Mariana's Peace. My big complaint about Mariana's Peace, even though it's a nice, big, kind of a dark red, it's a beautiful tomato. Mm. But if you say, wow, I'll pick that tomorrow, and you go out tomorrow and it's soft and mushy. Oh, yes. oh that's no good. It, it, it goes fast yeah. as far as on the vine. And yeah, that, that's my one reservation about growing that is you're better off picking it before it's fully ripe. Before it's ripe. Than it's when it is fully ripe because you might be disappointed. Uh, any closing thoughts for uh, everybody well, in Radioland? <laughs> well, Read Sacramento Dick's Gardening you if you go. need uh, if you need garden news about the greater Sacramento area or California in general because we have our, our San Diego callers on on the line today. Yeah, um, you know because this is very California centric gardening news, and this is a resource that Kathy and I created for our local gardeners so they still can stay in touch and still stay you know in the loop of what they need to know. Um, and it's very easy to find, like like Fred said, just look up Sacramento Digs Gardening. Um, we have the blog, we have the Facebook page, we're also on Twitter and Instagram, and you can get the free daily e-newsletter right to your email box. And we didn't point out today, it has recipes. It yes, does have recipes. We have recipes we too. Just yeah. Because we grow things to eat and we like to cook. So we, well, you should eat what you grow. Exactly. Yeah, yes. you grew it. Now eat it. Yeah. You have a recipe there on tomato tart, I do believe. Uh, that was Kathy's okay. recipe was a tomato tart. Um, I've got a chutney up there. Uh, easy homemade uh, tomato sauce, the easiest tomato sauce you'll ever make. And um, the, the world's best chocolate zucchini bread. Oh, my gosh. That <laughs> has been the big hit. Kathy's chocolate zucchini bread. Um, it is legendary in Midtown Sacramento. Um, and <laughs> a lot of... Oh gosh, we had four thousand uh, readers on that one one thing. So well, um, yeah, I can yeah. tell you right now, a lot of people's ears just picked <laughs> yes, up. Yes, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was it's an excellent one. Also, you know how to make a uh, a fruit cobbler on your barbecue grill. Oh yeah, yeah, it was yeah. another practical I, one. I love fruit you know, on the barbecue. Yeah, yeah, so we're you know we're trying to find things that um, speak to what people need now. Chocolate right. zucchini bread. That's what you need right now. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All That's right, good. you can find it at the Sacramento Digs Gardening blog. Just, you can do a search right there. Yes. Because there's a word. I see the word search right there. So, <laughs> yes, you can. It's an excellent resource. We're glad to have it as part of our community to keep gardeners informed and entertained. And uh, you're going to learn a lot. Kathy Morris and Debbie Arrington, thank you so much for your efforts in this behalf. Well, thank you. It was our pleasure. Thank you, Fred. All right. When we come back, we're talking with John Greenlee, a famous uh, meadows grower, and we're going to talk about uh, good meadow grasses for turf substitutes. That's coming up as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. 
You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. If you're interested in meadows or grasses, we have a guest for you now. It's John Greeley. He's created grass ecologies and gardens of all sizes since way back when, in 1984. He's been on TV. He was named Horticulturist of the Year by the Southern California Association of Horticulturists. He's also the author of many great books, including the Encyclopedia of Ornamental Grasses, and his latest book is called The American Meadow Garden. And we just happened to run into John Greeley here at the NorCal Show in San Mateo, which is a horticultural trade show. And what do you have in the booth here, John? This is uh, interesting, and this is the future of the California front yard right here. Well, I, t- I truly believe so. Um, we've got a lot of great new plants here. Let me show you a few of them. This is maybe our most exciting new plant that we think is going to transform uh, California gardens. This is Lamus triticoides lagunita. It's a also known as lagunita wild rye. Right. It's a it's a creeping wild rye is the the common name. This particular clone is short and green, so it's incredibly drought tolerant. It's mobile. These are all images here, and you see it being used here with wildflowers, overseeded with wildflowers, with uh, perennials. It's the base grass. We think it's the holy grail. Right? That means it can take traffic. Can take traffic, right. can be mowed like a lawn, can be left unmowed. You add bulbs, perennials, flowers to it, and uh, it's creeping, so it's planted. It doesn't grow from seed. It doesn't create viable seed, which is good because it pretty much stays where you put it. But it basically creeps and fills in. It's colony forming. But it's our native grass. And in nature, it's one of the last native grasses to go summer dormant if you don't give it summer water. Now, you've got to give it summer water the first season to get it established. But once it's established, it actually can, can grow without summer water. Now, it will go summer dormant, so it'll turn brown and crispy. But as soon as the fall rains come, it'll green back up again. The flip side of that is very little summer water keeps it evergreen. So we're really excited about it. So Does it need good drainage? No. It'll grow in heavy clay. It'll grow in dune sand. It'll grow in first exposure seacoast with salt spray. Uh, I've planted it up to about 4,000 feet elevation, which is what it does in nature. In nature, it goes from Baja to Shasta from the coast to about three, 4,000 feet elevation. And so it has a huge range, but this particular clone is, we think it's like, you know, the Goldilocks and the Three Bears, it's the just right, right height, right color. Uh, it's the base layer that you For know. those watching us on the radio, John had his uh, hands about eight inches apart. So it gets about what, eight, eight or so yeah, inches? Somewhere in here, depending on how much water and fertilizer, there it is as orchard understory. Uh, we're very excited. We've got a, several acres of it planted at the world headquarters of, uh, of uh, Apple, Inc., uh, at their Infinite Loop campus, and there's much more planned for the, for the uh, spaceship planting. Uh, the ring is the, the, that's, uh, you know, the new headquarters that's going in. So it's the base layer. So in 1,000 square feet of this, you maybe have 15 or 16 flowering accent grasses and that's what makes it a meadow so you want a meadow you want people to look at it and go wow look at that amazing meadow 
you don't want people to look at it and go, when are they going to mow that lawn? It has to say I'm a meadow. So again, this is the Lamus triticoides lagunita. Lamus right. is spelled L-E-Y-M-U-S. Lamus triticoides lagunita. When you plant it uh, via plugs, I would imagine, mm-hmm. how far apart do you space them? Depends on how much money you got. Um, <laughs> uh, no, seriously. I mean, if you plant the plugs four inches on center, it almost looks like sod the day you walk away. But I've planted it 18 inches on center, and it's crept and filled in. And so a lot of times, if you got to make it look good right away, you can plant the plugs 18, 24 inches on center, and then overseed with uh, wildflowers. Eventually, the Lagunita will come to dominate. Right. What is the mix that really looks best, that is really a standout well, with the Lamus? It depends on where you are and what your soil type is, but I like to put Mullenberges with them as flowering accents, even some of the Cesalarias. Let me show you a couple more uh, really interesting things. This would be one for all of your Foothill clientele. So you may be familiar with our native blue grama grass? Sure, yeah. Well... When I say our native, this is the very... If you order blue grama grass seed from anybody in the United States, you're not going to get California blue grama grass. This was collected in California on the edge of the Mojave Desert. And uh, again, we think it's going to be a meadow. It's going to be a lawn. It's 12 inches to the top of the flower. Uh, it is warm season, so it, so it does go dormant. But you can see it's already greening up, you know, already. So um, we're very excited about these meadow grasses. Here's a picture of it at our grower associates down in, in uh, Southern California. Now that's a bit taller. That looks to be, what, two no, feet or so? No, no, no. no. That's no. this to the top of the flower. That's 12 inches. Okay, so Guaranteed. about 12 inches. So that would be a good mix then with the Lagunitas wild rye. Well, no, it would disappear in, in Lagunita. You'd need something taller, but... Instead of lagunita, ah, okay. or let's say you've got a succulent garden, this would be an excellent companion planting for succulents. They have actually done testing in Sacramento County using blue grama grass as turf. a turf substitute, turf. and it did score very highly. Well, right now you can't buy seed of this particular clone, but you can plant it from plugs. These are our, our plugs, come in 50 tray. So if you do want us to, to get plants to you, you do have to call our office. You can't buy plants online, but we can ship plants anywhere in the in the country. Where are some good public gardens where people can see your work? Well, I'd invite you all to come to Cornerstone uh, Gardens in Sonoma, which is now the uh, headquarters of Sunset Magazine, that they closed their headquarters in Menlo Park, and the test garden has moved to Cornerstone Gardens in Sonoma. But all kinds of fun stuff. Here's, the, here's another thing now, too. This is our native uh, Lipia, our native Philodnotiflora. So this isn't new and improved from Japan. <laughs> this was actually... This isn't Carapia, eh? No. <laughs> okay. um, this is our native one, and this was collected near Tesla Canyon, uh, which is out by Livermore. Mm-hmm. A lot, most people have never heard of, of uh, Tesla Canyon. It was fascinating. Um, you can uh, check it out. Tesla was one of the very first communes in California, back in the 40s and 50s, I believe. It's no longer in existence, but this was uh, collected from out, out Livermore Way. Now, Lipia has sort of a renegade reputation for being rather unruly. Well, yeah, and rightfully so. Um, and I would tell you, though, interestingly, this 
this just came out of a greenhouse, so the foliage is actually greener than it would normally be, and it's a little more robust. This is much tighter, much more compact than, than Carapia or anything of that nature. You know, and, and people, uh, I know there was a big article about it in, in Sunset Magazine, speaking of Sunset, about uh, Carapia. But um, there is, the downside to it, though, as a mowed lawn, is that it's extremely pollinator-friendly, shall we say. The bees love it. Bees love it. So as a lawn, you don't want to step on it barefoot. Let's just put it that way. Well, you have a lot of people here at your booth here at the NorCal Show that want to talk to you. I have one more plug for John Greeley. Greeley and Associates is his business, also his website. And yeah, the book... The website, there's lots of great case studies where we've shown people how you go from the traditional American lawn to the next you know what we need to be doing we the need future. to well we need to we can't just be decorating the planet anymore we have to be fixing it we have to be cleaning it up so you know we need we need beauty that's sustainable beauty that supports our native birds bees and insects we got to be the guys wearing the white hats. Let's just put it that way, right? Exactly. Okay. The American Meadow Garden is the name of John Greeley's latest book. His business, Greenley and Associates. Greenleyandassociates.com is the website. You'll really enjoy it. Check out the website. There's lots of great images, and um, it's um, you can see our projects. A lot of them from start to finish. You can see the lawn, the lawn being killed, the lawn removed, the plugs going in, the uh, flowers being overseeded, and then the uh, the results so this is a garden we did in Kensington and that's Lagunita as the base grass and so the fun thing I mean for me making meadows it's just an excuse for planting bulbs <laughs> <laughs> alright John Greeley a pleasure seeing you again you and thanks for the chat you got it you're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, let's take a look at upcoming garden events happening in our area today. Last day for the Nevada County Fair. That's going on. And at the Nevada Nevada County Fairgrounds, the uh, Nevada County Master Gardeners will be there to answer your gardening questions. They have a booth and uh, they have daily workshops, composting demos too, all at the Nevada County Fair, which ends today. And next Saturday, the uh, Nevada County Master Gardeners in Grass Valley at their demo garden at 1036 West Main Street will have a class on composting. Compost is the gardener's best friend. All right. So that's uh, going on up, up the hills away. Here in the valley, the Sacramento County Master Gardeners have an information table at the Florin Certified Farmer's Market this coming Thursday, 8 a.m. to 12 noon. They can answer all your gardening questions. And at a lot of these uh, local farmer's markets, too, you can find the master food preservers who can give you some tips on all that produce you're buying and how to preserve it. It's not uncommon. Maybe you're you're not a gardener, but you like the whole idea of uh, only eating what you have on hand. And so a lot of people this time of year will buy a big carton of fruit or or vegetables or whatever and can them or freeze them or dehydrate them. And the master food preservers can offer you tips in that regard. And like I say, at most of the uh, farmer's markets these days, the master food preservers have a booth, so you can check that out. Speaking of uh, master food preservers, up in El Dorado County, the master food preservers there have a class on pressure canning. It shouldn't scare you. A pressure canner 
uh, can do multiple uh, things in the yard, in the yard, in in the kitchen from the things you grow in the yard. And it's if you're wondering about pressure cooking, well, find out more next Saturday, nine to noon. It's a free event at the Bethel Delfino Ag Building at 311 Fair Lane in Placerville. And that, again, is 9 to noon next Saturday. Got a garden event coming up, especially as the weather cools. Garden events usually uh, heat up uh, as September and October approach. If your event is having a, if your event, if your group is having a garden event, get that information to me via email. Just send it to fred at farmerfred.com. Try to get it to me about two weeks in advance because I'm a slow worker. All right, what else do you want to do? You want to do, uh, oh, email. Let's do that. Uh, Terry writes in from Fair Oaks, says, The last time Steve Zion was on your show, you guys were talking about a specific bagged soil that was sold at Green Acres. It had a number in its name, but that's about it. It has remained uh, a mystery in the old memory bank. Could you please let us know the name of that soil? And we were probably talking about, it's a soil I've been using uh in my yard, I, I try all sorts of different varieties, and there's a lot of good ones out there. I mix and match from all my friends. And E.B. Stone has a good potting soil called Formula 420, and it's also known as Ultimate Recipe. So either one of those, Formula 420 or Ultimate Recipe. It depends really on the nursery that's selling it. But basically for vegetables, for growing vegetables in containers, and I really like the stuff. There's a lot of potting soils and potting mixes I like from uh, a whole host of vendors, uh, including Kellogg Garden Products as well. Uh, I've been using their raised bed mix in a lot of situations and and for bigger areas. Uh, And I'm going to have to start adding more mulch. I can see that now because I've been attempting to grow Brugmansias. Do you know what a Brugmansia is? It's a beautiful flowering plant plant with beautiful, big trumpet-like flowers it's a plant that can get 8, 10 feet tall, and I've been growing it from cuttings from a neighbor's place. The problem is with the triple-digit heat we've been having, the leaves have been sagging in the afternoon. Now, when you give them a drink of water, the leaves perk right back up, so that's a good thing. The problem is, though, when those leaves start to sag, the plant is under stress. When a plant is under stress, it tells everybody in the neighborhood that it's under stress. We just can't hear it. I'll tell you who does hear it, though, the local snails and slugs and probably the earwigs, too, because I've been having a big issue with snail and slug problems on these young Brugmansias that right now are only about a foot tall, but they have these big green leaves. And I imagine they're, it's just like being in a restaurant for the local snail and slug population. And I've been a good soldier. I've been baiting around those plants with iron phosphate-based projects, uh, products or uh Ferric sodium EDTA, it's called, uh, another uh, product that is non-toxic to uh, pets and and small children, just like iron phosphate products. The problem with both of those is you you don't get the satisfaction of seeing the kill. You don't see dead snails the following morning. They take it back to their nest where they die there. But, uh... It takes a while for it to work as well. A week or two weeks, depending on the product. And if it is working, then I have a heck of a snail army somewhere in the neighborhood that's finding these Brugmansias. So I am trying to eliminate also the stress on these plants. And because the leaves are sagging every day, my solution would be water them 
perhaps three times a day to keep them looking vibrant and not send out stress signals or water them once a day but increase the layers of mulch around the plants. Now, I have a thin layer of mulch around these plants that may be only one or two inches. General recommendations for a layer of mulch around a plant, not that it's touching the plant, but close enough to the stem and extending out beyond the canopy of the plant, is a depth of four inches or so. So I need to add another couple of inches of mulch around those plants to relieve the stress, at least for the balance of the summer. Or just resign myself to watering those plants three times a day or so. I've been reading up a lot a lot about snails and slugs and how they operate. And I find it kind of interesting that sometimes we are our own worst enemy when it comes to trying to control snails and slugs. One of the problems is if you're using a barrier, like a copper barrier, and that's a suggestion for people with raised beds, is you basically, if you have a wooden raised bed, you mount or nail down a copper strip around the border of the raised bed. They won't cross a copper strip. You can find these products at nurseries. And because of their electrolytic bellies, when they hit copper, they get a shock, so they turn around. Now, that's fine and dandy if the snail or slug is on the outside. However, if you put down that copper strip around a a raised bed, for example, and the snails are hiding in there in, in, in some greenery, you've just locked these guys in the restaurant. So you got to make sure it's clear of snails and slugs before you try a copper strip. The other thing, too, with using uh, the pellets that are iron phosphate, or I believe it's uh, ferric sodium, sodium ferric or whatever, the EDTA stuff, is you don't want to water the plant after you've put down the bait because the bait becomes less attractive. So the solution there is don't overhead water. Put down a drip irrigation system, and that way the bait stays dry, doesn't get clumpy and and not appealing to the snail population. So that's my other project coming up, is to put down some drip irrigation in those areas as well to uh, mitigate that problem. But I like spending time with my plants, so going out and watering them is therapeutic and i'm sure many of you feel the same way when you go out to the garden because you go out to the garden do one thing and you end up doing five other things but you know you're among your friends out there in the yard okay all right anything else going on oh the kste farm hour is coming up in about uh, three or four minutes after the news at the top of the hour this week on the kste farm hour we talk about the wildfires continuing to rage here in california and yes, there are farm and rangeland losses, and they're mounting. We talk with some uh, pear and wine grape growers uh, in the Clear Lake area about the Mendocino Complex fire and the damage they are seeing. I've been talking with uh, a lot of farm advisors up and down the state, and one of the big hits that many counties that are having fires are hearing about are destruction of beehives. For the beekeepers in these areas affected by fire, they're finding that uh, uh, there's going to be some serious losses counted at the end of all this to uh, the bee population in California. Also, we talk about uh, the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, and it isn't just about water that's underground. There are some very serious land use decisions that are going to have to be made over the next few years, especially in the Central Valley. We have an in-depth report on that and crop reports all coming up on the KSDE Farm Hour. That's next 
But what the heck, I'll be back here next Sunday at 10 a.m. to noon with another thrill-packed episode of Get Growing. Thank you, Terry, for running the board. Talk to you next week. Thanks for your 26 years of support here on Get Growing. Bye-bye.